Well, actually, it's brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Whether it's people fighting in cages that you're after, or the energetic yet soothing music of Sir Elton John, Game Time has got you covered. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Well Actually, the Athletic MMA's podcast about MMA and other stuff. We're coming off a pretty fun episode with UFC on ESPN reporter slash TV talkie person. That's her words, Laura Senko. And the feedback was awesome. It was certainly one of the most popular episodes we've had, along with the great chat I also had with Leslie Smith. I got so many great messages from people. So first of all, I just wanted to thank you for your feedback and for your extremely kind words. But also, I got to say, I'm a little hurt. Am I not just enough for you by myself? Is that what you're saying? My rents don't just cut it anymore? I mean, I wreck my brain every week. I come up with elaborate scripts. I put all my blood, sweat, and cheap wine into this. But the minute somebody more fun, interesting, endearing, and generally cooler shows up, you just like them better? That is actually extremely fair. And I personally like Laura and Leslie better too. But unfortunately, you are stuck with me. Hey, I'm stuck with me too. We'll get over it together. The good news though, is that I have listened to your pleas. I have heard the voice of the people and being the magnanimous podcaster that I am, I shall spare you of my lonesome diatribes for another week. That means I have a guest again today. This time I am joined by Rodrigo. Rodrigo. We have many ways. We can say Rodrigo as an American. Rodrigo, like I would say it, or Rodrigo, I think something like that as he would say it. Uh, we are joined by Rodrigo del Campo, who's an analyst, a narrator, a podcaster, and the founder of Indiscutido.com. He also happens to be somebody whom I consider a friend. And I like to think it's mutual, but please don't ask him to confirm. I'm a child of divorce and I do not handle rejection well. But that's between me and my therapist. Back to Rodrigo. He's based in Mexico, but you have probably heard him in a few American podcasts, not only because he knows his shit when it comes to MMA, but he also offers a lot of great insight into his local market and players, and he does it all very eloquently too. But more importantly, for the purposes of this podcast, Rodrigo is also not at all a stick to sports kind of guy. He's vocal about his opinions, and we've had so many good conversations about MMA and our jobs and society and our lives and mental health and how all these things overlap that I figured it would be cool to share some of these conversations with you. I hope you enjoy them. Uh, I hope that you find them insightful and interesting, entertaining, hopefully all of it. But if you don't, well, I guess not everything has to be about you, does it? 
Okay, so there's a ton that I want to unpack today, and I'm actually very excited about this episode, but I guess the social norm requires me to be super boring and start by presenting my guests. As those of you who have listened to previous episodes in which I have guests, I happen to be kind of bad at that. And my guest today is particularly hard to present properly because he's A, a friend, so it's fucking weird, and B, his job description encompasses basically all the things. Like, literally, I had to, if I had to pick a definition for him, him, I would just go with doer of all the things. But since that is kind of a broad concept, I guess we'll start from there. First, thank you, Rodrigo. And I'm going to use the Brazilian pronunciation of your name, by the way. I've decided that all by myself. But thank you for taking a break from what I consider to be a superhuman schedule and join us. I will try not to make it too awkward, but I can't guarantee anything. And though you don't need an introduction because you're a lot more famous than I am, would you mind giving my four listeners just a better description of what you do than the one that I just gave? Also, hi. <laughs> hi. Uh, first of all, thank you. Thank you for the space. Thank you for, for having me. Uh, I don't mind the pronunciation. I know the hard R's are difficult for, for most people in the world. Uh, if you want to, the, 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 the correct pronunciation in Spanish would be Rodrigo with a hard cigarro R. Uh, my name is Rodrigo del Campo. I'm the editor-in-chief and founder of Indiscutio.com. Uh, the only independent MMA Spanish website, uh, also host of the podcast La Decisión Dividida, alongside with Carlos Contreras and Christian Tetzpam. And that's the MMA side of things. The quote-unquote real job, which still doesn't feel like a real job, is uh, working for Claro Sports. Claro Sports is a sports, uh, entertain a sports broadcasting uh, channel like uh, ESPN or Fox, uh, available on cable and satellite, uh, owned by America Mobile. And there I do play-by-play -play and, anal and analysis, mostly uh, for combat sports, but I also do a lot of things, a lot of weird things. We, uh, you know, we, the, the nickname for the channel is ESPN 8, the 8, ESPN 8, because we have a lot of weird things. Uh, I do judo, I do taekwondo, I do MMA. I also do play-by-play -play for drone racing, which is kind of weird. What is that? Drones, like small flying drones, they put oh, curses. Yeah, I mean, it sounds literal, but it's, it's literally, literally drones racing. Drone, drones racing, <laughs> yes. The, the DCL, the Drone Champions League, is what I do. So I do a lot of things there, and, but mainly play-by-play -play for combat sports. You did play-by-play -play for, you were telling me the other day, and I was like super impressed because that's super impressive, but you did play-by-play -play for the Olympics, right, here in Rio? I've done two Olympics by now. I did the, the Rio Olympics, oh, wow. uh, where I did judo, taekwondo, uh, I did uh, uh, wrestling, a little bit of weightlifting, uh, volleyball, I did a couple of games, basketball, I did a couple of games, uh, but mainly wrestling, judo, and, and, and taekwondo. And then in 2018, we did the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics, where I did all the sliding sports. I did skeleton, uh, luch, and uh, both bobsleds, two and four men. Oh, that's why you're counting two Olympics. I mean, you know that Brazilians, we don't we don't count Winter Olympics as Olympics. Like, what is no? We don't even know. Like, it's just it's it's half it's half an Olympics, if you ask me. But that's probably my most controversial opinion in this podcast <laughs> so far. Uh, I like that you're modest about it, though. I did a little bit of wrestling, a little bit of this in the freaking Olympics. But uh, as far as the MMA part goes, so how long has MMA? been a part of your professional life you could say as a professional it's been seven years a little over seven years uh, i've always loved mma i mean no one really believes me but uh, uh in mexico especially in the mid 90s there were a lot of cable systems that depended on pay-per-view and had a lot of uh, pay-per-view events available 
uh, one of those systems was Multivision, which had the original UFC 1 and UFC 2 available for, for purchasing. I was doing martial arts then. I was enthralled by the whole thing that, you know, the, the, when they say in the documentaries about the, the knowing if the sumo guy can be the kickboxing guy, I was that yeah. guy that said, oh, I want to know. So <laughs> I've always loved the UFC. I've always loved MMA. Fell in and out of, of it for a while. I uh, got back into it like in the early 2000s. And mm-hmm. when a spot up and opened a website that a friend was doing, I was doing TV production then, and I was doing a mm-hmm. content production, media production then, and I was really burnt out, and I really didn't want to go uh, on with it. I, I lost an agency with a, in a lawsuit uh, with a partner and an associate. So it was kind of hard, but uh, a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine who's still uh, a good friend of mine, Ivan Lira, opened up a website called La Ciudad Deportiva, and they wanted to cover MMA. They, they saw that no one really in Spanish was covering MMA, so mm-hmm. they gave me that gig. They said, hey, you like MMA? You can, do, you can be a one-man production team because of all the, the video knowledge you have. And you're a good researcher. I've always been a good researcher. So mm-hmm. I started covering like MMA. Like a nerd, was, basically. You've always been a nerd. I've been the nerd. I don't know. Yeah, I've always friends. been the nerd. I still play video games. <laughs> I don't mind. I'm, I'm cool with it. And yeah, it was, I'm a nerd, too. This is a safe space. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, my <laughs> first event was UFC 148, July yeah. 2012. So, but at that, so it seems like it was kind of a bit of a combination of things, right? Because MMA, it's 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 an interesting industry, right? Like in terms not just the fighters, but the personalities around it. Like the media, we're also, I think, a very diverse group. I think a lot of people looking from outside can't really understand what got us into this uh, predicament. <laughs> I know <laughs> I have a tough time when I am asked this question about how did you get into MMA. Like it's 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 got a few layers, but what I can come up with is that um, I fell in love with the stories. And it's it's a wealth of stories in MMA, right? And it never ceases. And I feel like that's quite kind of got me into it and what's kept me into it. So you sort of touched on it by just like your curiosity uh, around which martial art is the best and then obviously the professional circumstances. But uh, what really, you know, once you were got started into it, like you started a website, you started a podcast, like you really got into it. So what really drew you to MMA in sort of like an emotional level and what has kept you in this in it for this long? It's a very abstract question, but you've heard my podcast, so you know how I roll. No, no, I, I get it. Uh, the, the first thing that attracted to me as uh, just working in 2012 was the I loved journalistic work. I've never really done it. Mm-hmm. Not a couple of things. I used to work in PR also for a while and I've always been attracted to it. I've always been attracted to researching. I've always been attracted to to investigating, I do a lot less uh, on the journalism side right now. But uh, mm-hmm. but then I really I, I used to love it, and I still loved and I still do love uh, martial arts. And mm-hmm. I really was in the loop uh, with the UFC at that time, so mm-hmm. I, I knew the stories were interesting. You know, especially mm-hmm. like being the first event that I covered UFC 148 with Son mm-hmm. and, and Anderson Silva, and just being upset at the remarks of Chael Sonnen. And seeing how revered was Anderson Silva by the fans in Brazil, and all those stories that you know, having Tito and, and Forrest Griffin on on that co-main with which was the retirement fight for Tito, but ended up being also uh, Forrest's last fight. Uh, so the stories that kind of drew me in, and just uh, I know we have a problem with with way too many cars right now, but I think the fact that we had so many cars then 
kept me just going back to the work and going back to the work. And and I've always loved it, like journalistic work and work. And I've always loved it. And I, even though with the good and the bad things in MMA, I've always loved the sport, you know, more than everything. It it really is. It's my second favorite sport, which people find it weird. But uh, I love auto racing, but that's a family thing, which is like an aside. But I still love yeah. the sport. I really do still, still love the sport. Water, water racing. It's also big in Brazil, so I, I don't get it. But um, yeah, I, when you say it's a family thing, I get it. So you were you were there at UFC 148 in Vegas. Yes, I was there too. Oh wow! And my first I was interview, my first MMA interview was, and I still remember. It, there were three, but the first one was Joe Benavides. Oh, that's Sec cool. That's a good a good starter interview. He's very thoughtful, right? As that's an interviewee. <laughs> Second one was Mike Pyle. Yeah. And the Who's third one was hilarious, yeah. Daniel Cormier when he just won the the Grand Prix in Strike Force. Oh, that's awesome. So we were there. We just didn't know each other then. Yeah. Ah, what a coincidence. Uh and but when did you start in Discutido? Uh, let's did I say like, that right? Yeah, in Discutido. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you got it perfectly. Uh, in Discutido <laughs> started a little less than a year later. Uh, mm -hmm. The guys that run the, the website really didn't, didn't want to continue MMA. Uh, I thought I had found, found a space where I could do work, uh, where I liked the work, which was my, my main concern at that time, just like as a person. You know, mm -hmm. I started hating uh, production work. I've always been like a, a good editor. I've been and, there. and I love that <laughs> you've been there. Yeah, production work yeah. was really weighing on me. And I like this. I like this kind yeah. of, of work. So I started in Discutido in May 2013. How was it? So by that time, because you mentioned UFC 148, by that time, uh, it was actually the peak of uh, the re resurrection of the UFC here in Brazil. Uh, obviously, with UFC 134 was a really big thing. And we had Anderson, who was such a huge force here. So by that time, uh, the UFC 148, like I would say that it was that it was super popular. Um, how was it in Mexico? I think the high spot had just... Uh... Passed a little before. I think the high spot mm -hmm. was uh, when Kane, when when Cain Velasquez beat Brock Lesnar. That mm -hmm. was like the, the the biggest spot for the sport because they had yeah. a lot of a, a lot of problems with broadcasting a little later on. The, the next year, 2013, was a weird year for them. The TV wise, they lost Televisa. They went to Fox Sports, and people really couldn't watch uh, a lot of the cards. Uh, and then we, you had a resurgence with uh, UFC 155 late 2012. And then mm -hmm. with UFC 166 with the Kane and, and Junior Dos Santos fights. But probably the, the, the biggest spot for the UFC as a whole was when Kane beat Brock. And then for Kane as a fighter here in Mexico, mm -hmm. when he beat Junior Dos Santos at UFC 166. Yeah, I remember that. That was painful for us over here. <laughs> It was kind of like the opposite effect for people here in Brazil. Uh, but uh, it's interesting for me because I think like our the way that the sport works in Mexico in here, um, there's a lot of conversion. There, there are ways in which it converges, but also the way a, a lot of ways in which uh, it diverges. Um, 
right now, though, so in Brazil, we had that sort of boom, and uh, it was very popular for a while, and especially Anderson Silva with, with him driving. And at one point, I think we had like four champions because we had Anderson, we had JDS, we had um, Aldo. Like it was, it was very, it, it was very big. Uh, but in Brazil, like we have a saying that we go like, Brazil doesn't really like sports. We like soccer and then we like champions. Like, so we like soccer and whatever is winning. Like, that's very a big part of our sports culture. So as we lost champions, I think we ended up sort of losing uh, the mainstream interest in MMA um, it, it, sort of in a bigger way. And then we were left with sort of like the more invested fans. Uh, so my my question is about how was that trajectory uh in mexico i know it sucks to speak on behalf of an entire country because i get asked to do that all the time but uh, how was the trajectory and where does it sit in terms of popularity now compared to that boom that you guys had with with kane well i'm happy you understand me because uh that is really a weird thing like no one in the states asked me to talk about mma they asked me to talk about mexican mma yes Oh, yes. It's like, absolutely. I mean, I appreciate the platform, but I know a little bit more of MMA, just not not only uh, Mexican MMA, so that's kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, the sport, I, I think what you said really got my attention of the, you like soccer and champions, because I think sport in, in Mexico, it really is kind of like that. We like soccer, uh, we like hating on the national team of in soccer, and we like champions. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. all champions, because... Uh, people in the States don't know this. People in Mexico hate Canelo Alvarez. Uh, really? Think, I did yeah, not know that. No, they think that he's only 40 fighters and that uh, the, the Televisa, the networks, uh, has ha- have bought his career, etc. Et it's, it's just awful. It's awful. Wow. It's dumb, it's stupid, and it's awful, and they're going <laughs> to regret it, but it's another thing. Uh, and it's also with, with all those sports. Tell like, us how you really feel. <laughs> ah, fuck the people that don't like Canelo. That, that's how I really feel. Love it. It, it Love really is like, like people like auto racing when we got drivers mm-hmm. in, in F1. People like the Olympics when people are, are winning medals. And it's mm-hmm. kind of the same in, in MMA. Like, uh, it's kind of, uh, we, we feel like it's in a dip right now, especially yeah. with the UFC not coming to Mexico last year, coming back this year, and then the mess with the main event uh, back in September. Like, people, th- th- there's a contingent that. They see the UFC and they think the UFC is going to bring to Mexico John Jones or that Ronda is still fighting or that Conor McGregor is going to fight in, in Mexico City where you're going to say, no. <laughs> like, like, I get it. You're a casual. And we, you need casuals to fill like 20,000 uh, people arenas. Yeah. And then I, there's a small I, sector which, yeah, there's a small sector which is the really hardcore fans that they know everything. And I think in the middle you have the space to do like uh, 12,000 people in a car right now. Uh, but also Fox Sports, which owns the rights in Mexico right now. Mm-hmm. It's kind of in a state of flux. Disney bought a lot of, of Fox uh, assets uh, last mm-hmm. this year. But there were a couple of countries where the sale didn't pass, one of which mm-hmm. was Mexico. And the whole sale didn't pass. The government said, you cannot buy Fox Sports. It would be a monopoly having ESPN and having Fox Sports. Uh, so Fox Sports has been in this process where they don't know if they're going to keep working, if they're going to have a new owner, if anyone else is going to be bidding on the channel and getting the rights, or if going to be in a situation where in like three or four months, they're going to open up the, the, the channel and they're going to sell the, the rights to other, uh, to other TV companies. So 
it's kind of weird. I don't know uh, if the if the UFC is going to be on Fox Sports next year in South mm -hmm. America. They're probably going to switch them to ESPN, which they started doing with UFC 244. Mm -hmm. And you can, maybe in Mexico next year, we're going to have a year where it's not going to be as easy to watch the UFC. Oh, wow. That's because here it's so different. Like here we have Kombachi and they have all the events. For a while we had go, but like even when when the Gringos are like talking about ESPN and Fox or whatever, I'm like I don't care. Like I don't even know what you guys are talking about. Like this is just so not a reality. Like we have our pay per view channel and we pay for it monthly and all the events are there. Like you don't even think about it. Well, uh, in Mexico and Latin America used to be like that. Uh, mm. When Televisa had the rights, we had the UFC Network, which okay. disclosure I used to work for for the UFC Network. Uh, which it's Televisa so Networks is, is, is the cable uh, arm of Televisa. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was like that. You paid, and it was super cheap. It, it's weird because it was super cheap. It was about 10 US dollars a month. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you had every single fight live. It doesn't matter if it was a pay-per-view or a fight night. Yeah, it's kind of like that with us, except it's not super cheap, but yeah. But we, no, we it, have, like, that's the same thing. Like, we buy, we pay for, a we can buy the event separately, but then you do the math and it's just not worth yeah. it. So we just, like, buy the channel and we can watch whatever, like, every pay-per-view. So you, it's just not a not something that occurs to me because people are like, do I want to pay $60 for this card? And I'm like, I'm paying the same thing for whatever. Like, it's the same. Yeah, the weird thing was thing that uh, you can get uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. You can get no, a whole cable ahead. system mm -hmm. in Mexico with about 100 channels for the same 10 US dollars a month. So you're, gonna, okay. you're not going to pay your monthly mm -hmm. cable bill for a single channel. So it yes. didn't work. That makes sense. It's... Yeah, here it's expensive though. It's it's it comparatively, but uh, it's funny what you mentioned that it really <laughs> hit home because it's the same thing with me. It was like people are like, "Oh, can I have you on my podcast?" I'm like, "No, sure." And either it was to talk about like so, and I was like excited because like I'd studied the card, I'd watched the card, I'd covered the card, I interviewed people. Like I know what I'm talking about. And then the question was like, so how does Brazil feel about this? <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of a big country. So I, I can't speak in, on behalf of everyone, but or like women, like, so how do women feel about this? Again, we're not a monolith. We have our own <laughs> sort of perceptions and they're different, but okay. Uh, but I, I do want to talk to you about some, uh, about, I'll go Mexico related once and one more question, but you, you like me, you, you let me get away with it. But <laughs> you were, we recently had that event in Mexico city. You were there right at the arena uh, yeah. with Yari Rodriguez and, and Jeremy Stevens. And the event uh, was sort of like, it stood out for the wrong reasons, uh, both the weirdness of the fight, which, which got cut short because of the, the poke, but also the beer apocalypse that sort of took place afterward. Um, I remember that you tweeted something at the time, sort of like admonishing the attitude of the crowd. And I just remember immediately putting myself in your situation because the Brazilian crowd is sort of known to misbehave occasionally and I feel like a Brazilian I can and I should call them out but then you start you start seeing the reaction coming out of people abroad and in the US and they start you know talking shit about how we're in, uncivilized or whatever and that and then that pisses me off because it's like a shitty behavior is universal and then people it seems like they will take whatever opportunity they can to sort of like let their prejudice show 
right? And I, I, I remember thinking kind of that with Mexico, like, hey, maybe you might not want to talk about a whole country and their, um, the way that their crowd reacts like that. So what I wanted to hear from, that's how I felt, though. And I wanted to hear from you. Like, first off, um, you know your sports culture better than uh, people abroad. So were you surprised that the situation got out of hand like that? And how did you feel afterward about the way that those conversations were being held in places that weren't Mexico and, you know, by non-Mexicans? I was, uh, unfortunately, not surprised about what mm -hmm. happened. Uh, it was a weird night at the end, like the having mm -hmm. the the result in the Brandon Moreno fight and then the result in the Alexa Grasso fight yeah. and then the result uh, of what happened between Yair and Jeremy Stevens. There is a mm -hmm. complication where that arena sells way too much alcohol. Yeah, I, is that I heard, such a thing? Is there is is there such a thing though as too much alcohol? You can buy an entire <laughs> bottle of alcohol at the stand. What? Okay, not yeah, drink that's... by drink. You can buy the whole just the bottle. bottle. Ugh. Okay. Yeah. Now Which I see like... the definition of too much alcohol. And then every single year we've been there, there's been fights in the stands. Every Got single it. year. Got a couple, mm -hmm. a, a, a couple of friends that stopped going to UFC events in the, at the Arena Ciudad de Mexico after the Los Angeles Ferguson fight because there were so mm -hmm. many fights in the crowd. Got and it. then you had the results of the two prior fights and then that one, it, it was a cattle that was going to explode. We knew it. Like when we mm -hmm. were in the, I was in the media room. I, I was in, mm -hmm. uh, at the, in the arena floor. But when we saw that Jeremy couldn't continue, we knew. Like we knew people yeah. were going to act up. They were going to throw stuff. Unfortunately, Mexican fans are like that. Uh, mm -hmm. When the U.S. Uh, national soccer team comes to play at Stadio Azteca every single year, they just pelt them when they come out into the field every single time. You know, uh, cops either don't want to or don't care enough to stop it or use it like a home field advantage. It really looks mm -hmm. like a Copa Libertadores game when they when they work out. Work out. Mm -hmm. uh, so we knew. We knew. Uh, I was upset. I was disgusted. Uh, and then you have a lot of sides in the conversation. The first side... And I do, you know, have the little sin of sometimes being way too general about stuff. And I really did say that, yeah, the Mexican crowd sucks and Mexican fans are sometimes the worst. And then you get the one, well, oh, I didn't do it. I'm not. Don't bunch me in with them. I'm not with you. I know you're not with them. It's called yeah. hyperbole. Stop. <laughs> and then you start getting the, the and, and I'm not going to generalize as U.S. fans, but you do get uh, foreign fans. That's that crazy. Well, yeah, Mexicans are animals. What did you expect? And they're like, oh, you get the whole, like, settle down, buddy. I know you're racist. I don't give a shit. But it wasn't a good impression. I mean, even if Dana White, finally, when we talked about it publicly, he was like, yeah, it's fine. We knew. We knew. We went to Tijuana. But, but you know when you saw Dana White talk, because he said, we went to Tijuana for, for a boxing fight, and they started throwing beer. So we know that happens in Mexico, mm -hmm. which is like, cool. Thank you for not banning Mexico for the UCF calendar. But it's still like <laughs> a bad stereotype to have. No, you know, yeah. oh, yeah, we're going to win Mexico where they throw beer. Like people just mm -hmm. stop throwing beer. It's not that <laughs> <Maybe>. difficult. <laughs> like you just drink it because you paid for it and you get more out of it. If you and just it's super expensive beer. beer at the arena. <laughs> it's so expensive. <laughs> Uh, something I think that both of us have in common uh, in terms of just the way we go about the sport is that we address a lot of the toxic aspects of it. Um, 
one thing that I saw very recently, and you actually RT'd something about it, was this tweet by Jorge Masvidal, or slash probably Masvidal's manager, uh, which had a pretty homophobic tone, um, mocking, mo I think it was mocking grinder or whatever. Like it was, it was just very childish and gross and homophobic. And I think as unfortunate as it is, like it wasn't necessarily surprising to either of us. Like, I don't think we uh, collectively treat this type of behavior as an anomaly anymore because we just like considering how often homophobia and misogyny are not only tolerated, but sort of encouraged, right? It's just like, it's just another day, I guess. And I don't think that's an MMA specific problem. It's a culture problem, but maybe because it is such a male dominated universe and we're so immersed in it, it gets very very much in your face. Um, I often talk about my own issues and my inner conflicts when I, in balancing, right, what I think are the really cool aspects of the sport, which we have uh, talked about, and the shitty aspects. Um, but I wanted to ask you, like, as somebody who is in tune with those issues as well, how is that balance for you? Like, do you have those same struggles? How do you sort of, like, compartmentalize uh, the bad so you can work and deal with the good? Just want to get the tweet right. It's said, I would like to know the rules of engagement for UFC event coming up, brought mm -hmm. to us by the same boys who gave us Hogback Mountain and Grinder.com. We know hugging is strictly enforced and mandated, but what about punching knees and elbows? Hashtag asking for a friend. Thank you so for being a real journalist and having the tweet. Um, <laughs> so it's like, so go ahead. <laughs> first of all, it's like, the, the, the bad thing is that you know it's going to be accepted. Yeah. That, Almost no one's going to push back and say, hey, dude, like, have a little class. Like, uh, I think that most interactions on the internet and Twitter and Facebook, I, I know a lot, a lot of people that uh, we say in Mexico that when you do that kind of drama, they're, you know, break, tearing apart their clothes. We say, se está rasgando la ropa. Mm -hmm. uh, when they say, like, hey, you can't say anything or the PC police or whatever, for me, it's, it's real simple. It's don't be a piece of shit. That's it. Don't be, don't be a shitty person. Like, doing this is, is kind of being a shitty person. Like, yeah, I know. Yeah, Kobe wrestles and Kamaru wrestles. And uh, we know. It's not even funny. It's just mm -hmm. stupid and condescending to everyone. Uh, it's difficult. In, in Mexico, it's uh, unfortunate. Like, in a lot of part of, of Latin America, uh, homophobia is just so intertwined with everything. Uh, mm -hmm. I was talking with a fighter friend a couple of months, a couple of weeks ago, when it, where it gets to a point where you can't talk uh, good things about a, a male friend or a male mm -hmm. fighter because oh, so you like him, you like him, like him, right? That's where you're talking good things about him, right? There's even the the, the joke in Mexico that you're gonna uh, buy him a convenience store. There's a very popular chain of convenience stores here in Mexico called Oxo. And you say, mm -hmm. oh, so you're going to buy an Oxo for him. But why? I, exactly. I don't understand because the... Now you like him, no? You're talking... So you buy him a convenience store? Le pones un Oxo, is what you say. So, oh, yeah, you're in love with him, so you're going to put a business for him. So he can Oh, eat. got it. You got, got it? it. Got so it's it. like... But, it's like yeah, now we no, can't even talk good things about anyone else because I'm in love with him because I'm gay, and you get the slope and the slope. And in Mexico, we have... Uh, the unfortunately thing with FIFA mm -hmm. and in soccer, where they do a, a homophobic chant at every uh, goal kick, uh, where they start screaming and then yell out the, the, the F word in Spanish. Mm 
Yeah. And it's so intertwined homophobia in Mexican culture and sports culture here in Mexico. Is it the word that Verdun used that time that got really, that got it's, him in trouble? It's a word with a P in Spanish. Uh, I'll text okay. it to you if you want. <laughs> okay. Uh, We're uh, such a PC show. Oh my God, I cannot no, stand this. But I, yeah. I don't like saying it. And, I, don't, I don't say it either. That's why I love it. It's, the the it's, thing uh, is, we've really analyzed uh, how homophobic the word is. Why? Yeah, uh, because we have the same the V word in Brazil, um, and it's the same thing. Like it's they yell it in, in stadiums, and and uh, the chants are there, and they're starting to ban people uh, from stadiums or penalizing the actual the entire soccer teams. Yeah, uh, when their crowd is yelling homophobic things, and we are seeing some results, but also some pushback because then people are like, "Oh, it's part of the culture. Like we've always said that it's no, we don't mean anything by it." Uh, I think it's part of the sports culture, but at the same time, do you think, and this is something that I struggle with, so I know that it's an unfair question. I asked Guilherme Cruz the same thing when he was here, but do you feel like it is necessarily any worse in MMA or as somebody who is dealing with all these sports, do you think that this is like just a general problem, that it's not necessarily, uh, you know, that maybe I, I'm seeing this more of an MMA as an MMA thing because I'm so immersed in it? At least to my impression, in English, it is worse in MMA. Mm -hmm. In Mexico, unfortunately, it's just par for the course. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we do see a lot. This is what I, uh, what I, peop what I want people to get out of this. We do see an overcorrection. Uh, mm. You know, there is uh, on both sides, there's an overcorrection for everything. And, and we're really seeing it. Yes, a, a lot of people on the quote-unquote left or whatever, Pushing for political correctness go way over the line, but that's an overcorrection because people on the other side are also going way over the line. And in Mexico, with that word, we have the problem because people say, "Oh, it means something else." Like in Mexico, the the, the connotation when you say it, it means coward, and they don't think beyond that. So when you mm -hmm. sit them down and say, "Yeah, you're saying coward," because that word, but... what that word means, homosexual. And for people in Mexico, homosexuals are cowards because they're like women. And women are cowards because they're women. So that's the whole context of the word. That's why it quote-unquote means coward. It doesn't mean anything else. It's being homophobic because you think that a gay person is less than a man because it's a woman. And then you're doubling because women are less than gay men and men. It's. I think it's uh, what you're touching on. It's kind of like the same with uh, the sexist, uh, the way that people use uh, sexist things in a way that they don't necessarily see as harmful. Like they will call other people bitches and be like, oh, and Mazuda was actually one of those guys. I saw him like saying bitch. And then right afterward, he was like, with all the respect to women and stuff like, uh, but at the same time, it's kind of like about understanding that at the root of the word that you're using that it just seems harmless. Um, like there's something else. <laughs> like maybe you don't mean it that way, but there is something else. Uh, so, but, but I get it. When you, when you say in English that maybe like uh, as Latin American cultures, maybe we have that problem more than perhaps in the US or perhaps more openly, but uh, in terms of just the sports culture there, perhaps MMA is a little more toxic uh, in the US particularly. Yeah, I felt that uh, I felt that the arenas covering 
uh, the sports sometimes when we're talking in Spanish. And uh, I fell away. Unfortunately, I fell even in in the press room a couple of times. So I think it's, it, it's a little bit, at least from my experience, it's a little bit uh, a bigger in MMA in the States. And unfortunately, in Mexico, homophobia is just a part of, of everyday sports, which, you know, kind of sucks. Yeah, it's very depressing. This took a very depressing turn. Uh, but <laughs> we're going to keep on that depressing slope because we're speaking of toxic things. So I'm going to introduce my next toxic subject because it's something that uh, we both talked about. And when I say the name, you're going to know. Kobe uh, Covington. I think <laughs> it's safe to say uh, that neither of us are big fans and a lot of people I guess aren't, but I think when it comes to Kobe, what it seems to me like is that people are having different conversations. Like I think uh, most people would agree that Kobe is just kind of lame and that his gimmick is just kind of like a stupid person's idea of what a smart marketing strategy would look like. But I do feel like our maybe North American white male counterparts are often discussing it all in terms of is this gimmick effective like is it working is it really you know turning into views like is it annoying is it charismatic uh because it's very easy to dismiss something as just a character and not really think about what that character is saying and i think uh, we're having the discussion more in terms of is this gimmick just downright fucking offensive <laughs> because we kind of see beyond that like uh, that MAGA wearing douchebag using women as accessories and like talking about entire countries that may or may not be Colby as a person in real life. We don't know. Like, I don't know him personally, but I do like this is my interpretation. I don't want to put words in your mouth or project, but I do feel like this is a dude who exists in real life and that whoever he is, he will find inspiration in characters like Covington. So uh, my question for you, like, I guess we know that Colby Covington is problematic, but how problematic do you think that he really is? Like, do you feel like we're taking the whole thing seriously enough, uh, collectively as a me as media? When uh, some of the people in the U.S. start talking in media about uh, Colby's gimmick, and you know what you're saying, if it if it's effective, it's selling tickets, if it got him the the title fight, etc. I kind of wish like. Keep talking. You're almost there. You're almost there. <laughs> What's next? Because that is a part you have to talk about. Mm -hmm. it, it is working. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it, it's an aspirational gimmick because all the little MAGA insult boys wish they could have women like Kobe, wish they could have women as accessories. That's the fantasy that the president's selling to them. I want to be like that. I don't want to be a cashier. I don't want to be just a high school graduate. I want the girls. I want the money. I want to be Kobe. So th that's why it works. I, I do think that you have to separate the sport and the gimmick for a little while and have the conversation that way. Because unfortunately, at least for me, uh, Kobe, for, to me, especially to me, I don't, I don't want to speak for anyone else, is mm -hmm. shadowing the great work he's done in the cage because he really is a good fighter. You know, the, the, the people that have followed me and that have followed this continue for a while, I met Kobe at a, a UFC event in, in Orlando in, in 2014 uh, when Verdun beat Travis Brown to get the, the title fight here in Mexico City. And uh, Jorge Masvidal was fighting Pat Healy. And mm -hmm. Kobe was there in the corner and helping uh, Jorge. And Jorge introduced Kobe to me. He said, hey, he's, 
real close to your Yeah, they were super close. Yeah, they were super tight. I mean, when they were super, when we say they were super tight, they were super tight. They traveled to each other fights to win their corners wherever they were. And Kobe was months away from making the UFC. He hadn't signed there uh, yet, but he was months away. And Tommy and Jorge, the, the interactions I've had with him over the years, he doesn't say something he doesn't believe in. Mm-hmm. So when you told me he is a great fighter, he's going to be a championship contender one day. Mm-hmm. He's a great wrestler. He's learning to strike. He's getting better all the time. He's whooping guys in the gym. I, I believed him. And we've seen mm-hmm. that side of Kobe in, in, in the cage. I don't want to yeah. not discuss that because that is an important part. Then when, yeah. when, when you get to the gimmick, I mean, if you're saying uh, Henry Sahud is cringy, uh, the cringe master for me is Kobe. Yeah. Because I get the, the oh, yeah, he's doing the gimmick because you want to see him lose. I mean, yeah, but like in the last few weeks for me, it's like, I don't want to even see him. Like, I'm done. I'm tired. And, and yeah, for him, for, for him, it's, it's fun wearing the red hat. Uh, it doesn't mean the thing that it means for Mexicans. It doesn't mean the same thing for him. For me, that red hat that you might buy in, in a kiosk, Somewhere in the U.S. for like ten dollars, made in China, uh, it's a, it's a sign of hate. Mm-hmm. It's a sign of families being broken up at the border when they're legally there to ask for asylum. It, 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 it's a sign of the hate uh, for Latin American peoples that have lived in the U.S. for years. It's a sign of the people that have followed me in stores mm-hmm. when I'm going shopping in the U.S. It's a sign of the people that haven't served me at restaurants or coffee uh, places because I spoke Spanish. You know, I've, I've had those interactions throughout the years, and, and there's a lot of people that haven't had those. And they think that uh, people of color and minorities are just making them up. You know, that red hat's giving them the license to say the quiet part out loud, to actually mm-hmm. push that. And yeah, it's worked for Colby. Yeah, good on you. We're profiting and, and making a career and making a character of something that for a lot of people represents hate. You know, that this is, when I see the hat, I remember, like, the worst thing that I've had in the U.S. was about four years ago in, in, in L.A., in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. I was there with my whole family, and we were walking in the street. We were going out for dinner. It was my mom's uh, 60th birthday. And uh, my uh, sisters-in-law, my, my parents, and one of my brothers were, like really ahead of us. And I was kind of walking behind with one of my brothers, with my older brother. And a cop just came out of a, of a store and started walking behind us. And I'm not the biggest dude in the U.S. I'm a, I'm a big dude in Mexico. I'm almost <laughs> uh, 6'2". It was like a 6'4", 250 kind of, of, of cop. Just started walking behind us and breathing down my ear. Literally breathing down my ear. Guy started pushing me with his shoulder, like trying to, to have me turn around, say something. I, I, I know what's going on. I'm not doing shit. I'm not turning around. I'm just completely ignoring you until you tell me otherwise. You follow us for like, uh, I don't know, five, six blocks. Stopped at a stop sign uh, to cross the street. Just whispered, whispered, literally whispered in my fucking wet back. Turn around and left. That's that's a red hat for me. Mm-hmm. If you want to use it, go ahead and use it. Just yeah. know that it means a lot of different things to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Can uh, 
we've we've touched on that before uh when just talking directly to each other and that's how it why I wanted to talk about it, because I feel like it's the part of the conversation that, that gets missed uh, by some people who are not necessarily malicious in intent. Like they do not necessarily want to give uh, Kobe and other people like him a pass, but they do not understand that behind that character, that there is something more insidious, perhaps, uh, than just a cringe factor. Right. And that's kind of like how I feel in my experience, like the way that um we were talking about the women, like it really irks me to know when to see this guy show up with like three women in his arms and just thinking that's awesome because it's kind of like, it's a reminder that this is our place. Like that this is what we're supposed to look at and just like, this is what we're good for, you know? And just, I think that some people, and you just shared like this very uh, intense experience that these people are never going to get to live. Like they don't know what that that's like. So it's easy. I think for people to overlook that when they don't really stop to, um, you know, have that sort of empathetic to even listen, to understand that other people have these experiences that they haven't had. But um, moving on to another uh, person that we're not big fans of. I'm just going very depressing. I'm just going, it's my blessing. It's, we're going way dark here, but uh, it's and by the way, that I don't... You know, by the okay. way, I don't know if Kobe really is a Trump fan. Yeah. You know we don't who... know. That's the thing. You know who really is a Donald Trump fan? Jorge Masvidal. Oh, my, I know. I, I saw a, a post like from years ago. And that was yeah. weird because like... Someone, you, told him, someone told him from ATT. Mm-hmm. And I have an inkling of who it was. I don't want to say it out loud because I do not know. Okay. His, his friends uh, with a Latina fighter an American top team, mm-hmm. who I think was the one that said, hey, Jorjito, uh, a little less. And he stopped doing mm-hmm. the Trump tweets. Like about oh, wow. around the time for, of the election. And there was a couple of, of times in uh, UFC 244 when they asked him mm-hmm. about Trump and he, re- and he he literally said, I don't want to really want to talk into a politics because, because I don't think a lot of people are going to like me if I do. Mm-hmm. What I did hear, though, about that, uh, <laughs> dude, we're going way political here, but, uh, and I actually talked a little bit about how it's weird, right? Because we have our own projections and we pick our favorites and then there are sides of them that we don't necessarily like. And like we, you were saying, like, to me, it's not really about Trump or whatever. Like, it's more about the image and what you're representing. But with Masvidal, um, it was kind of like a shock to me. But then at the same time, people were telling me that he's from a Cuban community, yeah. right? Um, in Miami. And there is a whole heritage with Castro and, and, and just a whole other side of it that I, I, I can't necessarily relate to with my personal experience. But uh, what I keep saying about this and what I think about Colby is a little bit in terms of just, yeah, we don't know if that's who he is. Like, it's very clear that, um, he's making himself look like that, but we don't really know who he is, the person. That's why I don't want to discuss the Kobe, the person. Like, I don't know exactly. Kobe, the person. I know Kobe, the character, and that's what bugs me. <laughs> Kobe, the person might be the nicest guy in the world. I wouldn't even know. Uh, but speaking of just problematic guys, because it's something that you actually had a cameo in my podcast in the past, right? <laughs> when I did the Greg Hardy episode and I asked opinions of him and yours was like, and I quote, fuck Greg Hardy and anyone who cheers for him. You asked me to be quoted. 
by the way. Yes. Um, you And you talked about how uh, Indiscutido doesn't cover him. No. At all, right? At all. And that's, that's interesting because it's not a choice that a lot of people make. And I think we understand how this business works, how media needs to meet clicks and shit. Like I'm privileged. I'm in a privileged position now at The Athletic because we're like a different model, but I wasn't before. I might not be in the future. <laughs> the general feeling was sort of like you can't escape this guy. Like you have to cover him. You have to give him attention. Anyway, I had a whole episode about Hardy being in the UFC, so people can just go back and listen to that. We could probably start a whole new one right now. But uh, as someone who took that stand, who chose to not give him the time of day and the attention, like, uh, how do you feel about how the Hardy situation has sort of collectively been handled, not just by the UFC, but the media, the fans, everyone else as well? I, I get that a lot of people in, in our line of work do not have the ability to make the choice. Mm-hmm. You know, Indiscutido is an independent own site. I can do yeah. whatever the hell I want. If I don't want to cover Greg Hardy, <laughs> I don't cover him. Uh, the only time you'll see uh, Greg Hardy's name, we did one article when the whole inhaler thing happened. Just like a really technical, this is why it became a no contest because people were asking. And, and when you see the, the articles just with the start times and, and the list of fights, you'll see his name there and that's it. Mm-hmm. That's the only time you'll see Greg Hardy. Uh, I just yeah. do not like to give uh, domestic violence abusers a forum. Mm-hmm. Th- th- that's it. Like I used to do boxing. I didn't do Floyd Mayweather fights. Yeah. And we did little to small coverage for the McGregor Mayweather fight, knowing of all the traffic that mm-hmm. was there. Mm-hmm. That, that's our stance. It, 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 like The thing that gets me, first of all, is how far down the, the pole than the totem, is uh, domestic violence for some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people are offended by what, hap- what happened uh, last week, well, a couple, a week and a half ago in, in the NFL with Miles Garrett uh, beating Mason Woodruff with the helmet. But, uh, and yeah. just complaining about Miles Garrett against the helmet. I, I didn't hear anything about Kareem Hunt coming back last weekend. Mm-hmm. And if you see the videos of what Kareem Hunt did, is just, why the hell does he have a job? Mm-hmm. I had a, a case, the Houston Astros uh, in the World Series. There's a Mexican pitcher, the Roberto Suna. Roberto Suna also had domestic violence issues. He was cut from the Toronto Blue Years because of that. I don't care for Roberto Suna. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care if he's Mexican. I don't care if he's in the World Series. I don't care for you. That's it. And I think that, that it's weird because I understand that you do not have to have or, or that you can't have the conversation every single time that you talk about yeah right because i think that's what a lot of people criticize like oh you wanted you want to mention that he did this like in every story and you know yeah you know you can't but at the same time it's kind of you want you want to and you feel like and that's what i said like uh and you heard the episode like it's to me there's a difference between trying to forgive a person and I don't even want to go into that because it's a whole like separate conversation but like giving them a pass or uh worse public validation and, and I what they like did the in tone... Moscow what they did in Moscow was so transparent mm-hmm. bumping Sabid and, and Calvin Cater to the main event mm-hmm. I know why you're doing this because you don't want me to say Greg Hardy the domestic abuser who has been found guilty is now a main event fighter in the UFC. Mm-hmm. 
That's why you're doing this. Like, don't be so transparent. No, it's because uh, it's such such time and Sabit deserves the the main event you're doing because you don't you do not want to have a great card as the main event. You don't want to have the scrutiny again and again, and it's gonna happen. The thing is that it's gonna happen again. Uh, I don't know how to have this conversation, honestly. Uh, I've stopped at covering him, and every time he goes uh, to fight, every time he, he, he walks into the octagon, I don't know how long the article is going to be up. Uh, if you Google Greg Cardi and Deadspin, I think that was the most comprehensive article uh, yeah. done about oh, the, the Greg Cardi. The, the domestic abuse, it was, yeah. Yeah, about Diana Moskowitz with the photos what yeah, the photos I think were the thing that really did it because like, and that's the thing that you said. I think uh, the issue is so like down be- below the totem pole that people are very much willing to sort of like uh, sweep it on the, under the rug as much as they can, and then they get pictures, and then they like can't anymore because it becomes very real. And I think exactly. that's what that article did. So what I do is uh, every time he walks into the octagon, I just tweet mm-hmm. the article, and that's my coverage of Ricardi. Approaching, I think we could just basically talk forever, but uh, we can't because I guess there are social limitations to these things. But another subject on a light, I don't think it's a lighter note, but I think it's a better note. Um, I think another issue that is dear to like both of us is uh, mental health. Right. I feel like a broken record because it's all I talk and write about, uh, basically. But I do it because I think that we need more of it. Uh, In my impression, uh, as much as I feel like this is a gap that we need to fill, it's that it's been getting better, Um, both like in terms of just society in general. But in sport, in the sport of MMA, I think uh, I we were talking about the article that I (laughs) shameless plug this article from me that is up there at the athletic if you want to read it it's there but i uh, i do sense that there has been an openness for people to discuss this these issues that ne- wasn't necessarily there before um i for one really appreciate hearing fighters talking about bullying because it's something that is close to my heart because it's something that really fucked up my childhood uh and like imposter syndrome anxiety these are all things that really matter to me and i know that you have your own struggles and matters that are close to your heart and feel free to share uh, as much of them as you want but my formal question really is whether um do you agree with me that it's getting better in terms of the progress that we're making with these public conversations and how important do you think that it is that we um, keep having them? It's it's of vital importance to everyone. Uh, I think, yeah, the stigma is slowly lifting, uh, you know, to not call people crazy if they have mental health issues, uh, to if you have your own mental health issues, to do not feel... It, it was so awful that people made you feel like a coward for going to therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that we're slowly seeing mental health going to your general health habits. Like if you get a, get a cold, you go to a doctor. If you get the flu, you go to a doctor. If you have anxiety issues, you go to a doctor. Yeah. It is. The, the, it, it's not simple because of all the stigma uh, behind it, you know. Uh, yeah. Bullying was also part of my life in both ways which is really weird looking back, I just turned 40. And when I was little, when I was in, in grammar school, what we call in Mexico, uh, primaria, I was bullied a lot. 
and also through junior high. And then I hit a growth sport, and I stand almost 6'2", and I wear US 13-size shoes. And mm-hmm. I could dunk a basketball in, in, in high school. And then I became a, bu- a bully. Because I was bullied so much, I said, yeah. okay, finally I have the power to fight back. Wow. And there was somewhere between my uh, sophomore year where I was said, hey, maybe I am becoming a bully. Maybe I should stop. Yeah. You know, it, it, it really was weird, but it helped me see the, the, the subject from both sides. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I was the, 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 the cliche angry man who fought in the streets a lot. Fortunately, it's been a long time since I fought in the streets. Uh, that has come down. And I'm not one to exhibit my social life or what or lack of thereof in social networks, in social media. But I do speak openly. Is that is that is that a jab toward me? I, f- no, I felt very attacked. No, 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 no. <laughs> this but, is a personal attack. No, no, no. <laughs> a, a, here is uh, here's what I'm saying. Uh, I'm not like that, but I do not deny, mm-hmm. and I try to be open of the things that mm-hmm. happened to me. Uh, in 2017, probably around August, I was having some health issues. Uh, I was mm-hmm. having issues with my heart. I have I have. Issues with my stomach. I have. I used to have very bad acid reflux. It's kind of under mm-hmm. control now. And there was a point in August 2017, late August 2017, where everything was going great in work and in life and everything. And the stomach issues got worse, and my medication for the heart uh, didn't work anymore. Wow. And we couldn't really all get the, all the while you were working and like doing well at work. Yeah, that, that was the that, that was the start of, of the problems because everything was going real well. But then what happened is uh, without my medication, uh, finding out the, the correct medication for my issues, and with the acid reflux so bad, I started getting DC every single day, every single time. And then when you do play-by-play and you use the your diaphragm so much and you have acid mm-hmm. in your stomach, you start pumping it up to your esophagus. It's, it's kind of tough sometimes. And then, because my medication for the heart wasn't working, every time I started doing work and started doing play-by-play, I was getting dizzy. Like, really, really getting this big dizzy spells. And that transformed into me uh, feeling like I was going to feel bad and worse and maybe even dying every time I took a step outside of my house. For anything. Not only for work, wow. for anything. And there was a point in, in late 2017, early 2018, where I really didn't leave my house except for work. And that was oh. it. I realized I needed to do something about it. I went to therapy. Uh, I still go to therapy, fortunately. It's a part of my, of, of my week. It's like the only sacred hour I have in the week is my therapy time, which is usually Tuesday afternoon. Uh, this week mm-hmm. I, I, I'm moving to a different day because my, my doctor couldn't work today. But it's usually twice, Tuesday afternoon, that's my therapy day. And that's the only day where I don't do anything else. That's a blocked that's up thing, hour. Like, you would go to work and like like you said, you were only leaving your house to go to work. And people would probably hear your voice and like see you doing the things. And um, you don't imagine, right, that this person is going through all those things because you sort of have a public job. So it's kind of like you're le- leading sort of a double life. And then you have the pressure at work because you don't, 
not a lot of people can know yeah. that you feel like that because you're going to get pulled off the air. So one of my best friends, Alfredo Bush, he knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, my immediate boss, Oscar Clegan, knew. And family and my then girlfriend, and that's it. No one else knew. And I started going to therapy, and I started getting better. I unfortunately have uh, very bad anxiety. I do have, and I've had, now that I see it clearly uh, during my life, uh, OCD issues. And that was the root of the problem, because mm-hmm. I started feeling bad, so I got anxious, mm-hmm. because when I went to work, I felt bad. And then I started feeling worse when I was working, and then the OCD kicks in. Why are you feeling this way? Something's wrong. Something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. You're going to have a heart attack. You're going to be dizzy. You're, gonna, you're not going to be able to drive home. You're go, not going to be able to finish the work. They're going to pull you off the air. You're going to lose your job. Everything just goes into a, a spiral. Yeah. So it combined that uh, with therapy, the spiral started to end. Yeah. And we found the balance with, with the medication. And I've been good for about a couple of years now. Unfortunately, this year, personally, has been the worst year of my life. Fortunately, I've been taking care of, of, of my mental health because I don't know what would have happened. You know, uh, in January, uh, my then uh, mother-in-law died after a brief battle with cancer. Uh, then in April, her own mother, which was like a fifth, uh, like a third grandmother to me, passed away. Uh, then in May, in my relationship with my then girlfriend after 12 years ended. And then in July, uh, after a two and a half year battle with a, a rare form of cancer called GIST, G-I-S-T, uh, my mother passed away. And I can honestly say right now that without therapy, that without control, I have no idea where I would be this year. You know, and I do speak openly about it. I speak openly in my spaces, in our podcast, uh, when we do radio. And I tell people this thing, I- I'm not a therapist. But my DMs are open. If you need someone to talk, if you're having an emergency, if you just need someone to listen, absolutely feel free to to message me. And this goes out to anyone who's listening right now. Uh, My Twitter handle is at Roth Velcampo, R-O-D-D-E-L-C-A-M-P-O. Absolutely feel free to write to me if you need anything. If you feel like you should be getting help. If you feel like you should be getting help, try and get help. I know it's not easy. I know it takes courage. I know it's sometimes, I also know the economy, the, the economy side of it. It's not, it's not cheap. There has been weeks for me, especially a couple of years ago, where I wasn't making much money. When it was hard to get the money for my therapy appointment that week. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I get it. If you need to speak, I, I, I'm, I'm really open to it. Like, absolutely, feel free to, 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 to DM me. Feel free to talk to me. And if you feel like need help, like, fuck the stigma and get help. That's, like, a really awesome of you to share. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I, again, like, I, I, it's something that I touch on, but I just feel like it's really powerful um, to listen to people who go through things. It just, we need sometimes to be reminded that, um, 
shit's fucked up for everyone. And that, <laughs> that we the world is dying and everything sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of my general message. But uh, no, but I think it's really cool that you share this. Really generous of you to, to share this because I know that a lot of people just need to sort of hear to hear it out loud to sort of understand things. But um, just to finish, because uh, Chris will probably kill me. Chris is our producer, by the way. <laughs> We've been talking forever. But uh, to finish, I saved what I think uh, might be the best, but I don't know because it's a misery to me too. I, don't, I know that you have a story uh, that you wanted to share with me that I didn't allow you to share because I wanted to react to it in full time. A fight-related story about USC 198. And uh, in which occasion you were almost beat up by the brother of a famous UFC champion, if I'm not mistaken. So yes, uh, if you could just finish this episode by telling us this little anecdote. It was a UFC 188 here in Mexico City. Oh, 88. Okay. Yeah, when Fabricio Verdum and and, and uh, Cain Velasquez finally fought. And mm-hmm. there, this is also a case of, of media bias and media selectiveness in what people report or not. And not many people okay. know this this anecdote. Uh, I think the only one who really knows know. it. I, I didn't know. I'm very. I'm in the dark. So I think the only one who really knows it is John Morgan. Okay. Because like the, you the probably pic- told it in his podcast. Exactly that that same day we <laughs> talked about it on his podcast, and obviously the MMA media was completely silent because I know they're just a bunch of solidarity dudes working for each other. Uh, oh my god. We're doing the the open workouts. Conspiracy theory. No, okay. not conspiracy theory, but because selective media bias. Uh, okay. We're Go doing off. the open workouts, and we're doing the scrums. And okay. we're doing the interview with Fabrizio Verdum. Fabrizio yeah. had this thing during UFC 188 that Cain, that Cain wasn't really Mexican. And oh, we're, I remember that. We were kindly reminding him that, hey, we do not know uh, the Brazilian constitution but the Mexican Constitution, what is officially yeah. known as the Constitución de los Estados Unidos Mexicanos, says that if you have one parent born in Mexico, yeah. it doesn't matter where in the world you were born, you are a Mexican yeah. citizen. Mm-hmm. Which is the case with Cain's father. Cain's father was born in Mexico. His mother is a first-generation uh, American. His mother just passed away uh, recently. Uh, so Cain is a Mexican citizen. If he wants to get a Mexican uh, passport, if he wants to get a Mexican registration, he can do so. He's a Mexican mm-hmm. citizen. And while we were doing this, Fabricio kind of got upset and uh, a little thing. And then I heard from the back someone saying, gordo de mierda, which means fat piece of shit in Spanish. Dismissed oh it, heard it again, turned around. It was uh, Felipe Verdum. And then Fabricio's manager, which I honestly do not remember his name. Uh, they were there. I remember. I, and right now it's Ali, isn't it? Right now it's Ali. This time it was the, a shorter guy, kind of bald, Brazilian, who was still, even when Ali was managing uh, Fabricio, still, you think, worked with him. Mm-hmm. And I turned around and said, hey, what do, you, what do you call me? Gordo de mierda. Stop calling me. Stop calling me that. And the scrum is going on behind me. I'm the only one who's turned around. And then Felipe came and started pushing me with one hand. He just said, stop pushing. Do not push me. He wanted like, hey, you want to fight? Like, I know I'm going to get my ass kicked, but you're not pushing me and you're not calling me a fat piece of shit. 
And we, when wow. we kind of got really close, uh, someone from the UFC saw the commotion, uh, got there, and just uh, had Felipe ask me what was, what was going on. Say, hey, you know me? I don't complain much. I don't say much. I just came here to work. He called me a fat piece of shit, and then this happened. Wow. They took him I away. That was good. Yeah. And I think conversations were had to whether he was going to corner or not uh, Fabricio that weekend. Uh, the UFC was really apologetic and, and, and helpful to me uh, during this. And that's what happened. Well, then the next day during the media day, one of, uh, uh, one of the people from Fabricio's team came up to me and talked. But it, it was more like, well, what happened? Why did he want to beat yeah. you up? Well, he just called me a piece of shit because I asked him, I was telling him that Cain is a Mexican citizen according to the Constitution. And that, peop- that, that person was actually shocked that that was the only thing that it took for Felipe to do that. Like, that's everything that happened? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. You know? And everyone was there. Like, I remember, and I remember even being interviewed by some people. I mean, uh, uh, John was there. I remember uh, Eddie Rodriguez was there. I remember even Donnie Austin, who I think Danny just works and doing the CFL coverage right now. He was at the fight. Uh, I don't know who was there from MMA fighting, but MMA fighting was there. And I don't think anyone reported it, to my knowledge, except John. But that's that's the story of Felipe Verdun trying to beat me up at the UFC 188 Open Workouts. Well, I, th- I thought it was, I, in my mind, it was a funnier story, and I was just kind of like, oh no, sad. no, no, it's just uh, <laughs> really. Oh wow, that yeah, yeah. that was intense, but uh, it is. That was, that was, uh, yeah, I have a lot to digest, but that's fucked up. That's all I can <laughs> conjure in terms of emotions when it comes to that story. Uh, I guess that that does it for today because I've kept you forever and you probably have like all your very important work things to do because you do all of them as we've established early in this episode. Uh, but I just really wanted to thank you for taking the time for joining me today. Uh, you have been super supportive of this podcast from the start. Uh, you know how much I appreciate that. And you know that I've always I've been talking about having you here since before I even started. So uh, this really does mean a lot that you were that you're generous enough to come here and share your time and your stories with us. Appreciate the space, and I honestly and I've told you this, I appreciate that this podcast exists. We we do need things like this in the MMA space, and not only because they're unique, but because they're talking about subjects that no one either wants to or is interested in talking to and that are really necessary to be talked about. Okay, so yeah, that is it for us before I start crying. Thank you for joining me, all the rest of you who listen, and we'll be back next week, next Tuesday, for more MMA and other stuff. Bye.